Welcome to The Five Things, This Week in Social. Each week, we scan and scroll through the internet for the best stories in social media so you can skim the best parts and be plenty prepared for the week ahead. This week, we have Kane, who is back, and we are happy to have him here. Hello, Kane. Hello, Joey. Kane, do you remember the very first social platform you were ever on? It must have been Facebook. I remember my older brother was in college and I was just getting into college when Facebook was just starting out for college students. And that's got to be it because I don't think I even had a, there's no way I had a smartphone yet. So it must have just been desktop version of Facebook. That was probably the first one. When you needed that .edu email address to get onto Facebook? Yeah, sneaking my way in. That's right. The good old days. And Hannah Leff is joining us for the first time. She is a group planning director here at Gray, and we are very excited to have her. Hello, Hannah. Hey, Joey. I'm very excited to be had. Hannah, same question for you, my friend. What was your first social platform? Ooh, uh, MySpace. And I think... I think I had some kind of really atrocious username like Couture Lover or something equally embarrassing. <laughs> so good. So good. I'm Joey Scrillo. And yes, I also had a MySpace. I think I even had a Zanga at one point in my life. But we've all moved on. We've all grown up. And here are the five things. First up, Kane elaborates on Elon's $8 monthly Twitter package. Then Hannah digs into Twitter taking on LinkedIn with professional accounts. Third, Kane stays with the theme and discusses meta going global with professional mode for creators. Then Hannah jumps into Instagram, adding product tagging in reels. And finally, we will discuss this podcast's new logo for the five things. New logo, who dis? All right, here we go, friends. Let's get into it. First up, Kane, tell us what is going on with Twitter. What isn't going on with Twitter, Joey? Okay, so I'm sure as many of us have seen, and if you haven't seen, let me just reiterate the importance of this update before Twitter. As Elon Musk is taking over the reins of Twitter and recently purchasing it, he is really shaking things up with how he is seeing the future of Twitter and the vision of the platform. The newest, latest, greatest update, which I wouldn't call it final approved or actually verified, no pun intended, verified yet, but what Elon is looking to do is set up a subscription model for Twitter, which is around what he's saying, $8 a month. That is going to allow anyone that pays this to be kind of a verified user. And what that means and what the service will offer is priority in replies, mentions, and search, which Elon is arguing is essential to defeat spam and scam. So you're going to get the free pass of kind of the advertisement and spam that comes across your feed. Also, you'll get the ability to post long form video and long form audio. You'll get what he's saying, half as many ads through your feed and a paywall bypass for publishers that are quote unquote, willing to work with us, which is quite ominous. So the big thing here is, you know, if you're offering up these blue checks for a monthly fee or a rental fee, in my opinion, it's going to make it quite more difficult and harder to go through this information that we're, you know, disseminating and, and searching for on Twitter and find high quality information. I think one thing that I've found super beneficial to Twitter with the blue checks is that you know that the information coming from these people with blue checks is a qualified source. Now, if you pay eight bucks, you are technically seen as a qualified source. I think Twitter's method formally of verifying users with the blue check included some sort of verification, right? You had to apply for it. You had to have X amount of uh, 
people vouching for you. And it was reserved for those people who were celebrities or politicians or journalists. And everyone that came with a blue check was kind of this like heightened individual. Now, what he's saying, which is pretty much his direct response to like the, oh, lack of a better term, crap moment of Twitter's uh, ability to make money right now is let's just give that blue check to anyone that wants it and give them a heightened service for eight bucks a month. So it's a shift of how the platform will be used and how we are gathering information from these individuals with blue check marks. And also, you know, I will figure out who pays the eight bucks a month, but it's definitely an interesting shift in Twitter. Yeah, it's interesting, right? A billionaire is creating a new rule that if you want something, you can just buy it. I guess my question is, does this, Hannah, does this change the weight or the worth of the blue check mark? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's essentially rendering the check useless because it allows any user to impersonate absolutely anyone on Twitter. Although apparently Musk claims that this already happens quite frequently. I think the other thing that we have to think about is that the implications are fairly troubling for those that can't necessarily afford that kind of discretionary cost of $8 per month because their voices are potentially going to be marginalized as a result. And I also think that as brands or as brand managers or advertisers, it poses a really interesting quandary for us because we have to consider how we create legitimacy on a platform when there are no safeguards to verify identity. How do we ensure that our clients aren't falling prey to impersonation? How can we proactively plan for instances in which misinformation could be spread under the guise of the the brands that we're ultimately stewarding? Yeah, you bring up a really good point. And Kane, I'm curious, do you think moving forward that Twitter will still be a safe place for brands. It's funny, we just had this conversation with a brand yesterday and they were like, what are we going to be doing on Twitter now? Because Twitter was one of their main platforms that we work with them on. And now they're looking at this shift and this change as, should we be prioritizing this? Is this a, a platform that we need to be pushing just as hard as we had been in the past? And if this goes down and if the change happens as if what he is saying now is the reality, I think it will become less important for brands. I think the power of Twitter is one that has always been a safe space. The power of voice. And if you don't have a checkbox, I think to what we were just talking about, some of the most influential voices are those kind of standard individuals that know a lot about a topic. And if they don't have the eight bucks a month to put towards their Twitter handle, their voice is going to be diminished incredibly. So I think that the push towards monetization for Elon Musk's benefit is going to push a lot of brands away from this platform because it's losing its authenticity than from what it started as and what it was most successful doing. Yes, it'll be very interesting to see where this goes and how Elon leads this company. But sticking with Twitter for a moment, let's dive into Twitter taking on LinkedIn with professional accounts. Hannah, why don't you tell us about this? Yeah, let's get into it. So after a few months of testing, Twitter has just officially launched its Link Spotlight feature for US-based professional accounts. Now, this feature is true to its name in the sense that it's quite literally a spotlight for links. Uh, what I mean by that is that the capability allows you to add what is an interactive button to your profile page so that you can easily drive your customers to whatever touch point is most important to you. So just to put that in very practical terms, if you're, let's say, a coffee shop, that might mean giving people the option to click through and view a menu. If you're a restaurateur, it might mean giving people the ability to make a reservation through the Twitter profile. As Gray, we ourselves might use this to drive folks to listen to our incredibly interesting Five Things podcast. But self-promotion aside, there's a whole slew of options and ways that folks can leverage this functionality. I think 
What's particularly promising is that given the visibility of the CTA button and where it's going to live on the hierarchy of the, the page, it's very likely to drive more clicks and to really encourage profile visitors to explore additional content. And that's, of course, music to any brand or influencer's ears. The reality is that this is just the latest in a series of moves that Twitter has made in a real attempt to give professionals access to additional tools uh, that they can leverage to distinguish and monetize their profile. So for me, this has big implications for brands because it means that the way that people use Twitter is going to evolve. They're going to have more kinds of content, new forms of content to engage with. And I think that we have a responsibility to help our clients understand that shift and how they can leverage it going forward. Kane, what do you think this shift means for LinkedIn? The reality is our personal brand these days is becoming more and more increasingly important. And as we are living in this remote social first world, as of now, creating these personal professional hotspots and showing your you know, opinion leadership at times for your social profiles is just becoming increasingly important. You know, LinkedIn always was the core professional, if not the only really professional platform where you could go to and share your professional experiences or professional opinions. Twitter is one that we think has an incredible power for sharing opinions. I think LinkedIn will always be the go-to. I don't think that'll ever change. But what's, what's incredibly important to see here is the customization and, and the features that are popping up amongst these other channels profiles that are allowing users or brands or restaurants or restaurateurs or whoever you are to be able to customize a little bit more than they had been in the past to make their profiles work harder for them is one that's super interesting and important. I mean, we talked about this a handful of weeks ago, the, the Instagram update for allowing for your profile to have multiple link outs where there was historically just one. That's a, another great example. You know, you're an individual, you're a brand, you're what a professional, whatever you are. These channels are understanding that your profiles need to be more robust than they had been in the past and allowing these customizable features to just one step further to make it more important or more powerful for a professional or a brand to use their platforms. Yeah, it's almost like LinkedIn will be your tech talk and Twitter might be you working from home in your sweatpants. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's your professional leadership. All right, let's stick with this idea of professional mode. Jump into our third thing. Kane, tell us about meta going global with professional mode for creators. We're going global. So Facebook uh, or Meta opened up Facebook's professional mode for all creators globally. This had initially launched, I think, late last year, I think it was December last year, in certain regions, which they launched professional mode. And now it's opening up across all creators globally, providing multiple options to help these creators build their presence in their apps. So I think best explained by the company Meta itself, the update is pretty much saying the professional mode you can use to there's updates to build a public following, earn money from various monetization programs, and then also connect with your audience in more meaningful ways. And you can do it all on your profile if you have a Facebook page. So this professional mode is really providing access to, as we kind of just talked about, a range of analytics insights and monetization tools or direct access to these features that are allowing these profiles to become more professional. There's these bonus profiles or bonus programs that come with this creator profile. And they're adding these features like stars for audience donations. So they're kind of giving us little gimmicks to make it a little bit more uh, interesting for professionals to tap into as a creator. Meta is also testing new in-stream ads for content creators, which will also be accessible when available through the this professional mode option. So I think Meta knows that it can't 
create this engaging, exciting experience without the top creative talent. I mean, that's kind of what it's coming down to. And which is why it's really maximizing its appeal to these creators by adding this new feature in order to better align themselves or, or amplify themselves to where these other apps have Creators aren't right now going to Meta. They're going to TikTok. They're going to Instagram. Meta needs to step up and they currently are trying to figure out ways to help and kind of spoon feed these experiences for these creators to come to the Meta apps over others. And in my opinion, I'm all for it. Enhancing these offerings for creators and creatives is something that every platform should do. I mean, that's these platforms are built around storytelling. They're built around exciting content. I don't care what platform it is. I think TikTok can do this. Twitter can do this. Instagram can do this. Just the idea that these platforms are are prioritizing the content creation side of things and also allowing for some sort of monetization for these people that are putting a lot of effort in drives more opportunity, drives better storytelling and drives better content for everyone. Yeah, we've as we've watched these platforms roll out all these creator tools and now professional tools, it's it's like we've been able to watch a bit of a trajectory of making content creation more and more serious. Hannah, do you think that this will affect TikTok at all? Do you think this is going to drive more creators to Facebook and to Meta? You know, I, I think that Kane hit the nail on the head because as he mentioned, there's this very fierce battle that's taking place between TikTok, Meta, all of the other platforms all of these mega giants to win creator loyalty. And really, the most effective way to sway a creator to your side is to give them the tools that they need to develop a more engaged and meaningful relationship with their audience. And so what Facebook has done is dangle a little carrot for creators who are on the fence about going pro while simultaneously incentivizing them to continue to cultivate their audience on Facebook versus another platform. So long story short, time will tell, but this is definitely a step in the right direction. Time will tell. Yes, indeed. All right. From one meta creation to the other, let's get into Instagram. Hannah, tell us about them adding product tagging in Reels. Yes, product tagging API. They just released a new one and that's quite a mouthful. But for those who aren't especially tech savvy, it stands for Application Programming Interface. And this new feature is going to enable product tagging in Instagram Reels, specifically via third-party partner platforms. Interestingly, there are a number of partners that are already integrated like Hootsuite and Sprinkler, among others. So if you're wondering, why is this API particularly newsworthy? The answer is that it means that brands can now drive product discovery via high engagement short form videos. And in fact, Reels are now generating the most reach on Instagram, which is pretty crazy. This functionality is also going to make the process so much simpler for developers on the back end by reducing something called tagging friction. Now, I will be the first to admit that this is all candidly a bit technical. But what I get excited about is that video first e-commerce is the future. I would also argue that it's our present. If you look at the data, more than half of consumers watch a product video, whether that's branded or creator-generated content, before they make a purchase. And those numbers only go up fairly exponentially when you look at Gen Z. Not to mention the ROI on video ads is typically pretty high compared to other formats. So it's such a great way for brands to respond to product trends while at the same time embedding their identity and culture. So so from my point of view, it's ultimately an exciting announcement for both advertisers and consumers alike. It's going to be really interesting to your earlier provocation, Joey, to see if these changes help Instagram replicate the success that TikTok has had with video first content. Yeah, I mean, we know that Instagram has been pushing and pushing and pushing reels and pushing video content. Kane, 
mean, we know that this is going to have huge implications for brands. And we say it all the time, brands, if you aren't on TikTok and you aren't on Reels, what are you doing? What what would you advise or how would you counsel a brand with this update? What are you doing? It's a good question. So I just pulled up this, this chart. We have a group thread of all of the individuals on our social team here at Gray. And someone sent out this, this data point that I found just absolutely mind-boggling. In uh, late summer of 2022, about... 13-ish percent of all this newly discovered brands were discovered via either a reel or a, a TikTok video. And that was obviously to a specific demographic, but, and that number has been growing. In early 2021, only 2%. And now it's up to 13%. So about a year and a half, you have a 10% jump of how individuals are discovering new products and new experiences, and they're all coming from video. So what I would say is, you know, if you're if you are selling a product, if you are launching a product, if you are doing any sort of thing that can tap into e-commerce and video, this is a huge update for you. I think there's no surprise that this was launched in late October, early November, heading straight into the holiday season. I think brands, and now we're working with brands that are going to have to restructure how they're creating their content now, or at least how they're going to be structuring their their decision making or how they're restructuring their user decision making reels because if we can start pushing more video and, and pushing more product through video and having it be an engaging experience, let's do that. Let's let's focus more on video. Obviously that has been the focus in the past handful of months and not a past year. But if we can start selling product this way versus going down the carousel route or the static image with tag tag products route, and we can do it through video, I mean, that's a home run. So if you're not doing video, focus on video. The platforms are prioritizing video. Your, your content will be seen more, engaged with more. And if you can push product through video and have it still be a seamless experience or some an experience that's heightened for your user, you should by all means prioritize that. It's working, as I said, 12%, that's a crazy number, 12 percent of all products being discovered are through TikTok or Instagram Reels. That's insane. It's staggering. It really is. Well, video, as we know, is king, but audio is right behind. And we love to talk about podcasts on the podcast. And today we're talking about ourselves a little bit. So as you noticed, when you clicked on this podcast, there was a new logo. We've got a new logo and we thought it'd be fun to just take a quick moment to acknowledge it and talk about it as we move forward with our new look here for the five things. So our fifth thing is about us. Why not? We're allowed. When we started this podcast in 2019, we mirrored the look of the Five Things newsletter. As the years have gone by, both the newsletter and the podcast have grown into a great way for marketers, social media professionals, and creatives to stay on top of the latest trends in social and digital. The personality of the Five Things, of course, has evolved. We've gotten into a groove over the past few years, both with the show and with the newsletter. And I hope that our informational approach provides our listeners with a glimpse into our personality here at Gray. So we're very excited by our new look. We're moving away from the red background to a black one to differentiate ourselves a little bit from Gray's other podcast, Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas. And we incorporated some pops of color by introducing our five emoji logo. First is the sunglasses emoji. This is a cool and confident emoji, which is how we feel about our subject matter. The winky face is playful, showing a bit of how we interact with each other on the show. The heart eyes is for when we love what we're sharing. We're very excited about the update. The red angry face, of course, is the opposite when we disagree with what the platforms are doing or sometimes each other. And finally, the laughing emoji is for when we tell corny jokes 
and express how much we truly enjoy bringing you this podcast and newsletter. So I just quickly want to give a shout out to our design team, Marcelo and Matt, for bringing the vision to life and Dan for trusting the vision all the way. All right. Now, Kane, I want to ask you, what do you think of the new look? I'm just flattered that the first emoji is a direct representation of me. Yeah. So thank you for including me in the logo. I love it. I think the sleek black look is awesome. I love the the little ribbon of emojis. Dynamic. It's fun. It's unique. It represents us all, all five things perfectly. I'm a fan. I think triple thumbs up. Even my toes and my ears are wiggling. Whatever you got, I'm... I'm giving it a, an A-plus approval. Well done, creative team. And Hannah, as a newcomer, what are your first thoughts on the updated look? What Kane said. Seriously, in my perspective as a strategist, I always think about the brief. And there are a couple of filters that you should leverage when looking at logo design, particularly for a podcast. Obviously, it's a snapshot of what the show is about. So it should point to the content. And this does that really beautifully in terms of representing social and the forefront of culture. We also know that so many listeners actually find cover art and logos more important than the title of the podcast itself. So you've really got to draw people in and create something thumb-stopping, which, of course, this does perfectly. And then you also have limited real estate with a thumbnail. So the design has to have elasticity. It's got to be able to flex to fit a variety of different formats. And again, I can see this scaling up and down really effectively. So I am sold. Great. Wonderful. Love all your feedback. I love positive feedback. Well, friends, you will see more of these logos on social as we share our podcast out and around. And speaking of sharing, if you don't already, be sure to follow us, share us, review us, like us, write to us with your questions, comments, concerns, points of interest or complaints. Or if you just want to send us a thing that you want us to discuss, you can do all of that by emailing us at podcasts at gray.com. Of course, I want to thank Kane for joining us and Hannah, please come back. Let's make it a thing. I know you both have a lot going on both personally and professionally. So I appreciate you taking the time with us. And as always, I want to thank Danielle Hunt, Amanda Fuentes and the crew over at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes. And finally, thank you, listener. We'll do this again next week. And in the meantime, be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes, with post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by Christina Hyde and Liz McGovern. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.